I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, high lowers. Welcome to another episode of The Hilo, the pop culture podcast in which no topic is too low or lofty, no question too silly, and where curiosity is always encouraged. So you never have to lock yourself in the loo in the middle of a party to quickly Google what uh, McCarthyism is. I wondered where you were going with lock yourself in the loo in the middle of a party. (laughs) As Dolly has said, no topic is too low or lofty, no question too silly. We believe in covering everything from the trivial to the political, all the news stories from the last week. Dolly, what's been your favourite low and highbrow thing this week? I don't really enjoy this segment, but you do, so <laughs> I really doing, like it. I'm doing it for you. I think it says a lot about a person. I think it starts everyone out on a level playing field as well. It's like, it's a safe space. No, but yours are always better. You've been thinking about them so, all week. I have been thinking about them all week. So mine, low ones this week are mainly food related, obviously. Um, corn party sausages. Oh, okay. Delicious. Okay. And um, a mixed triple sandwich. Are you familiar with those? What's in that? Yeah. Three different types of bread. I didn't think you'd be a mixed triple woman. No, a mixed triple you can only get in very low market luncheon eatery outlets. So boots, the co-op. So many words that mean the same thing there. <laughs> luncheon eatery outlets. Um, and Supermarket. It's, it's when you haven't had breakfast or lunch, so one sandwich would not suffice. You know the Pret Slim sandwiches? Three Pret Slims together? Yes, exactly. All in one. That's a club sandwich. No, but you don't eat them like all on top of each other. Oh, it's like three halves of a sandwich. Yeah. One and a half sandwich. Yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. Triple I sandwich. I mean, we've delved into this perhaps <laughs> for too long. What's your high? My high is the poetry of George McKay Brown because I've been in Orkney. More on that later. And he's a Stromnesian poet, which means he's from the town of Stromness. Do you always do that? Read something from where the person's from? <laughs> um, I was Well, you can't bloody escape it in Orkney. I mean, I love Orkney, but I do cling on to his words. So I thought I might as well go and read it myself. So what have been your highs and your lows, Pandora, this week? So my low has been just a complete obsession still with suits. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily that low, but I, I think whenever you're in a Netflix pit, it's probably quite a low moment. Uh, my husband's are you doing that same way you're just like yeah and there's like seven series of it completely in love with the actor who plays the um, protagonist Harvey he's called Gabriel Macht I don't know if that's how you pronounce it's sort of a prison isn't it it's a joy and an imprisonment oh my god I mean it is and it does take over your life last night I got home and I said to Ollie, should we watch some? And before I could even finish my sentence, he just excitedly beckoned me into the bedroom, steady on. Um, <laughs> the curtains were shut and the bed was primped and the laptop with a speaker was perched on a pillow all oh, ready to go. That's my kind of man. When you get the setting completely, did he have any snacks laid out? No, but he'd put dinner on the counter so we could eat it with maximum efficiency and then head oh, straight, to, head straight to suits. Um, so that's my low. And my high is, I was reading quite a lot about the city and the Roma gypsies after going to a memorial dedicated to gypsy groups during the Second World War when I was in Berlin over Easter. Oh, 
I'm awful with history. I forget everything I've read. So about every five years, I need to read the same. I'm exactly the same. But also, I've my flatmate and I were talking about this recently. I think I missed all the big hitters in my history education. I never studied suffrage. I never studied either world war. That's pretty much all I studied in the Cold War. I didn't study the Cold War. What did you study? Are you they sure were, you did history? Not I did history, GCSE, and no, they were. My school was obsessed with Tudors. I think I did Tudors about five times. God, I, that's really boring. My geography is absolutely appalling, and I think that's because geography at school just concerned honeypot traffic yeah. jams Ig- and riverbeds, igneous rocks. Yeah. Oh my God, do you remember those Pretty unbelievably depressing trips where you'd have to go and measure a river? We once went on a geography field trip to Japan. Okay, well, that was nothing like mine, where I'd go to some hostel in Dorset with a tape measure standing in some bog. God, anyway. I'm going to get shit for that field trip. <laughs> so, a tale of privilege. So, as you two. can tell, Dolly's been in Orkney. Um, I have. And tell I'm, us about Orkney. I haven't I'm, heard much about Orkney. I saw the endless pictures where every picture looked the same. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. What well, Orkney? Think every picture looked the same. Orkney just looks like Orkney. You're going to have very though. angry Orkadians messaging you Orkadians, Stromnesi. <laughs> I love, I, my parents had a house in Scotland when we were growing up. Did they? In the northest of North Scotland, literally. It was like oh, falling where? into where the North Sea. Oh, where was it? It's two hours up from Inverness. It's mm. in a place called Tongue. Oh, You'd like that, Dolly. I think I would have uh, seen it when I climbed up to the old man Ahoy. And Tuesday. my mum always used to buy me, for some weird reason, they always sold Orkney fudge in oh, the yeah, corner shop. Yeah. I don't so even sugary. have a sweet tooth and I bought some for my flatmates and then I ate the entire thing. Oh, it's amazing. Home. Like, time um, is amazing. Anyway, sorry, tell us about Orkney and people from just, Orkney where we have one listener, I imagine, like we do in various Surprisingly, you know, when I started posting my millions of pictures that apparently looked exactly the same. Um, but in a good way, just <laughs> like all your selfies look the same because you look the same. Okay, thanks, babe. It's just like um, a continuity. <laughs> con- continuity. When I said that I was in Orkney, I had this influx because I've got to be honest here and I mean we really will get emails for this me and the Scottish have never seen eye to eye explain generally speaking I think it's because I spent so many summers up at the Edinburgh Festival where quite rightly you know a load of Guardian reader poncy theatre loving people jumping up and down on Princess Street you know flyering I've always felt a bit of hostility when I've been to Scotland because it's always been at the Edinburgh Festival. The Orcadians are the most welcoming and warm people. And when I started posting photos, I got... The Orkney Tourist Board got in touch. I got loads of messages and emails from people being like, oh, I see you're in Orkney, do you want to come around to my mum's house for dinner? Do you want to come play Scrabble at the pub? It was so nice. You should have gone and played Scrabble at the pub. I know, I was being a loner though. I've never been somewhere where there's so much space, so sparsely populated. The sky is like... Have you never? Never, not like this. This is extraordinary. That's my entire life. What, living in the countryside? <laughs> where my parents live in Essex, no one. Going on holiday well, to Norfolk, so no funny. one. It's going so to Scotland, no I, one. I think I came back and I really didn't want... If I hadn't had to record this podcast today, truly I was looking into like... Had to record. <laughs> we'll ignore that, <laughs> listeners. I was looking into... Um, Getting a plane up to Fair Island, doing some kind of island hopping around there. Because yeah, it, I want to go to Sky. I love that. When you say island hopping, people think of you in like a bikini, like and no, skin, this is and me skin in a it up. But I, island island hopping in Scotland is slightly yeah. different. Thing. They're called um, island baggers. Apparently, I think I've become one of them. People who kind of fetishize. them people. They're them people. 
<laughs> who kind of fetishise Scottish, go to as many Scottish islands as they can. I think I'm going to become one. Um, <laughs> but I said to my flatmate, I was like, I was just so enchanted by island life and I was talking through it and she grew up in rural Yorkshire and obviously I've always grown up in a city. And I was like, oh, you wouldn't believe it, mate. I went on this clifftop walk and I bumped into a woman on the top of the cliff who was like, oh, did I see you in the ferry pub last night? And we started like talking. She was like, oh, did you eat the mussels? What did you think of the mussels? And I was like, don't you think that's charming? And she was like, no, that's awful. That was my whole childhood. It's really claustrophobic and terrible. So I think I just kind of find it, it's so different to what I grew up with. It's nice to have so, a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? You want to be... Uh... Like in my... Bu- you know, I don't want to be friends with everyone in my building and on my street, but there's a lady that lives below us who's in her 80s, I think, and she's called Bar. She's absolutely amazing. I've probably told you about her before because she dyed her hair purple the other day. Just no, because. you haven't told me about anyway, her. Anyway, I came back the other day and her suitcase was just like sprawled halfway up the stairs um, and it said mine on top of it in massive tipex. And I was like, <laughs> Bar, why does your suitcase say mine? And she went, because it's mine. <laughs> Oh my god! I she bet you've got. I love your building. I bet you've got some real excess. Oh, she's amazing. She's building. amazing. She she is always knocking on my door, being like, "I can't get my remote control to work, or I can't get my telephone to work." Or <laughs> she's absolutely brilliant. I love that. Also, you said a bit of both is the best. And I went, of course, thinking I'll have a big uh, pile in Orkney, and then I'll have a house in Hampstead, <laughs> and I'll have a house in the south of France. Uh, but anyway, no, it was one of my most favourite places I've ever been. It's a really special place. Good. How was Berlin? So. Berlin was great. I've I've been saving my slightly odd story oh, for you. Yes, I'm keen to hear this. So um so yeah, so I went to Berlin for Easter with three of my best friends and their respective other halves. And um, we were staying in Soho House, which is lovely. And on the first morning, so I went to sleep and I woke up and I woke up to someone peeing on the end of my bed. And at first, because I was half asleep, I, I think I thought it was probably Ollie. So I was like, what are you doing? Did you just feel a warm streak I heard on your it. feet? I heard it like when you're at a festival and someone pisses on your tent. And it's like... At the end of your bed? Yeah, at the end of... Uh, on the bed. And I thought it was Ollie at first. I was like, what are you doing? And then I realised it wasn't Ollie. It was a man in like a hoodie and jeans. Oh and Ollie wasn't there. Oh my God. He'd gone to the gym and he didn't realise that the door didn't lock behind him. So I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? I was like, hey. I was like, this isn't your room. This isn't your room. You've got to get out. And he was like, shh. And I was like, you've, you've, you've got to get out. And, and I started he screaming. on the mattress? On the bed, yeah. We got upgraded to this insane loft. What, what, how did that happen? <laughs> because the doors don't lock behind you. So anyway, so... But who was that man? Well, I'll get to okay. it. Okay. So anyway, so then I started really... Free- and I started screaming. I was like, get out, get out, get out. And he was like, shh, just be quiet. And that's when oh I thought, God. oh my God, I'm going to be sexually assaulted whilst yeah, my husband's yeah. in the gym. Because he wouldn't leave and he was so pissed. His, his piss just dunk of booze and I was naked in bed so I was like hilariously because this is what goes through your head I think in these examples in these instances I was like I don't want to run out the room because I'm naked and I don't know what to I don't know what to do when I get to the corridor and there's this massive gym on our landing so I was trying to think about what to do and then later I thought god I should have filmed it and he kept on saying he was really pissed and I thought which turned out to be true I think he'd come home hooked up with a girl or guy but I did find out it was later a girl hooked up with her and tried to find the loo, but being so pissed that he left his room and came into my room and peed on the bed. Because he kept on saying, all right, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I just need to get my stuff, I just need to get my stuff. And was he an English guy? Yes, um, I'm pretty sure he was English. Reception thought he was from New York, but that's before they realised that actually he wasn't a guest of their hotel. He was, as they put it, a guest of a guest. I was like, oh, I just thought some girl shagged him. And they were like, yes, that's what we're trying to say. (laughs) Um, So eventually he walked out, and then I called Ollie, and I had a panic attack. Um, Oh, Panda. Anyway, they were amazing, and they put us in this huge 
huge loft and then my other friends came and hung out in the loft and they were like oh my god it's so cool you got this was it worth it and I was like no it fucking wasn't worth it because no. I'm literally so jumpy yeah. now yeah. whenever anyone touches me or there's a loud noise so it was really really weird and my family were like oh my god they were sort of like terrified and in hysterics at the same time because they were like it's really funny but it's also really scary and it's both so it's really scary and I can th- I think of him at the end of my bed a lot mm. but it's also very funny um, and my dad was having a field day on the family WhatsApp as everyone who's cursed <laughs> one those knows he kept on going god you must be really pissed off about that and Ollie Ba-dum-sh. and Ollie Ollie kept on coming up with ones like he said I had pissed traumatic stress disorder oh, and um, he also said which I did quite but enjoy that went that, down like a shit sandwich <laughs> he also said that a lot of people they he was very he was very sweet about it but he's a lot of people go to um berlin to get a golden shower but most of them have to leave their bedroom to get one and pay for it <laughs> and go to Bergheim <laughs> to get it and i was very lucky because i didn't have to do anything to receive one you had the full immersive berlin um, experience but they were really sweet i I'm thought i'm so sorry you went i thought them. that the reception might be a bit like oh you're in berlin like what do you expect but oh, and they Christ were like sake. they were well i don't know but yeah no they were completely horrified but yeah they never found out who it was um so that was my experience the rest of berlin was great the food there is amazing you'd really like it really affordable lots of kind of deli style like pastrami sandwiches and we went to some great places i had some awesome recommendations i did some really good vintage shopping yeah and it's nice as well horrible because you weather. said you the hot the tone of the holiday was more because normally people go for berlin for pills pills dancing dancing yeah no we weren't like that actually we were quite um granny like we didn't have any massive nights one of my friends is pregnant and i think i don't know we were all staying in different places so we sort of didn't have any really late nights, but did lots of like walking and stuff. Um, more and more, yes, I see that, that with city breaks as well. It's so nice to not wake up with a huge hangover. Well, I've recently discovered, I know I'm way behind the time, but I've just discovered the health app on my phone where you can see how many steps you do a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so my record's 23,000. Oh, nice. What's yours? Um, I think it was when I was in New York. My steps always got really high. I think it was around that as well. Um, and my lowest point was the day after my 30th. It was 233. Oh, I've done less than that. Have you done like 90? I've done like 15. No, I don't believe you I can do 15. You. Yeah, we can go You could do 15 it. steps whilst rolling around in your bed. I think it was when I was extremely hungover and I couldn't leave the bed. <laughs> Um, what have you been reading while oh, you I have away? been reading oh it's brilliant you'll absolutely love it so I actually heard the girls on the Seriously podcast talking oh, about it oh I was to that on the way here so they were talking about short stories and I was thinking oh my god I bloody love short stories why why am I not buying more I, I buy as many as I can find but I don't look for them in the same way that I do other books and so they said oh you know everyone who loves short stories loves the short and I thought my god I haven't heard of the short so I bought it and it's been compared to Cloud Atlas which is interesting because I always thought that I wouldn't like Cloud Atlas because of the you know the future it's all quite mixed time wise and I'm quite basic when it comes to I like a sort of linear storyline so it's a bunch of short stories and they jump forward and back in time and it's all like it's all loosely related so you might recognise a name and be like oh I read about her when she was 50 years younger in a previous story but they're all based around these collection of three very remote islands off Virginia someone wrote a review saying you know this is the most kind of lyrical set of stories about the violence perpetrated by men to women most of them are very poor so it's about a kind of very poor rural existence there's some sort of mysticism in there a bit they're brilliant they are not light reads but I've almost finished I'll give it to you like me I know that you have an endless towering stack Mm. of books Mm. but um do you know what with the shore the first short story is the best and has stayed with me and will always stay with me so even if you can only do one you can read that 
And then I also read a brilliant interview with Malala's mum on the BBC website. And um, I just had a little excerpt, which I kind of love from her. So obviously we're all familiar with Malala. But as they say in the interview, very few readers will recognise Tor Pakai from her picture. Because whenever Malala attends a high profile function to promote her cause, she tends to be accompanied by her father, who's been interviewed lots of times. And Malala's mother lives at home with the rest of the family in Birmingham. She said, when Malala was being treated in hospital, we were very busy looking after her. Then she wrote a book and we were busy with that too. So that's why I wasn't in the public eye. But now I'm trying to help other people get an education. So from now on, I want to be more involved. Um, but if these interviews were in my own language, it would be easier, <laughs> which sounds quite funny. Anyway, she also said, last year I wrote in um, Malala's birthday card, you are my four-year-old daughter, because I keep count of the years since the attack. It's like she was reborn from that point. She's amazing, that whole family really. Yeah. Um, what have you been reading, Dolly? I have been reading the... We'll put all these on our Twitter, by the way, as we always do. I have been reading The Outrun by Amy Liptrot. And, um, Is that a new book? I haven't heard of that. I think it was out about a year ago. And I read it because when I started posting my... Um, Many boring and repetitive photos. Oh, walking. no, she's got such a chip. I, <laughs> no, I, I loved them all. They just look quite similar. No, I haven't. Um, uh, people so kept saying to me, oh, have you read The Outrun? Have you read The Outrun? And someone just said to take it with me. And it is a story about her 10 years of addiction when she lived in East London. Um, She's from Orkney. She had a very rural, um, kind of quite dramatic upbringing. She then moved to London, which was a vastly different lifestyle, Um, had kind of 10 years of sort of chaos the way that she describes it and then she attempts to get sober and returns to Orkney and it's intersliced with her personal narrative of her psychological kind of exploration and how she got to where she did and kind of speaking retrospectively on all those slightly lost years and uh, also about she writes so beautifully and so vividly about how the landscape and the wildlife and the lifestyle of the Orkney Islands healed her and it's raw I and love beautiful. your dedication to Orkney literature I'm obsessed with it now my flatmates last adorable. night I came home I was like fancy an Orkney beer and my India went would you say you are obsessive or? do you not do that with holidays though I think everyone does that with holidays oh I throw myself in yeah yeah, yeah you get back yeah. and you try and recreate all those kind of moments Literally. drinks that, yeah. you, that you had there um, but it's a really brilliant book and I actually, I predict something now. When I went to Bali when I was 24, I remember sitting around in like a juice bar in Ubud once, which is where Eat, Pray, Love yeah, was set. And there were about seven women in their early 30s, all blonde, all on their own, sitting. And I was like, you were, you've all read that book and you're all waiting for your Javier Bardem. I predict <laughs> that people are going to read Amy's book. She's not with them anymore. And they're going to... I know, I know. I predict she, they're going to read this book and there's going to be loads of heartbreak. Thank God that you as the single women. blonde woman went there first. <laughs> are all going to do a pilgrimage to the, to the Orkney Islands. I'm predicting <laughs> it now. Um, Dolly and I did a book swap today. I bought her standard deviation by Catherine Heine, or Heaney, I'm not sure how to pronounce her surname, which I think she'll love um it's a proof copy the book comes out in june so consider this your advance warning it's been compared to nora efron and what book did you bring me dolly i brought you the wild other which i won't stop blabbering on about I'm by clover to, stroud to everyone that they need to read it i've got one for my <laughs> mum as well and i think you're going to love it and you've also just read all grown up by jamie attenberg yes i did um i really liked it and I really liked her voice and I loved how honest she is. And I agree with Hadley Freeman's quote on the front that is such an honest depiction of what being a single woman, particularly as you get older, is like. And it really made me laugh. I did find it... I 
crave for a bit more plot in parts. I, re- I read it a little while ago. Um, there were definitely bits that resonated more than others. Mm. I absolutely loved the passages uh, relating to her niece, her brother mm, and his beautiful. wife and their niece and um, her reluctance to be a part of that mm. or, to, or, or ability to be emotionally engaged. Dolly and I are quite excited because after this podcast, spoiler alert, we record this the day before you listen to it. Or it's not live, Six guys. days before you listen to it's it. It's not like Capital FM. But we are going to see Jamie Attenberg talk to Hadley Freeman, who is one of our favourite journalists, um, the Guardian writer Hadley Freeman. Hadley Freeman is in conversation with Jamie Attenberg at Waterstones in Tottenham Court Road. I love thank, that we're going to spend our evening in Waterstones. thank God a, a listener let us know that it's Jamie Attenberg and not Jamie, as we said in episode one. I, can, I know who to blame for that. <laughs> <laughs> also this week, there has been the finale of Girls. Now, Girls, as we know, is divisive. People either watched it religiously or uh, didn't like it or um, didn't give two hoots, so much like any programme, really. <laughs> No, I think it's more divisive than others. Um, I mean, the poor woman's been criticism at every bloody turn. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the latest has been the... the, the baby spoiler looks, alert! Yeah, the baby looks too The black. baby is too brown. Yeah. Um, but I also think if the baby was not brown enough, know, she'd be in trouble. Um, in the interest of time, we won't give a presses on what happens in the finale. But anyone who's seen it will know that there were two... There were sort of two endings to it, and I think it's really interesting. They recorded it because they planned to use one, and then they sort of decided to use both. And I think it was Lena Dunham showing that here's the slightly generic one that you expect all four girls. Well, actually, I didn't expect them all to hate each other by the end. Mm. But all four girls don't really like each other, but they're in the same party and they're sharing. As I said on a BBC Women's Hour on Tuesday, which you can download now as a podcast, um, they were all sharing this collective space. Even though yeah. they were individual, they'd broken away, they were all still in the collective space, which showed to me I thought that they would find each other again at some point. And then you have the last one, which is somebody described it. I think it was probably Emily Nausbaum in The New Yorker brilliant TV critic who Dolly and I always You've love. really got me into her. I, I oh, love her, she's her best writing. dream gig, want her gig. But she said, you know, this is a very quiet episode. Mm. And she said, it also felt, I think it's really interesting actually, because it's the only series that has literally been criticised through kind of social media, what, what, that I can think of, as it's being made. Because Lena Dunham is someone obviously very engaged with popular culture in the media so she knows all these criticisms and you see her trying and they, to rectify yeah, them yeah and the show did absorb it you it did absorb it. it and then of course you know that that has problems of its own so Emily says it also felt in later seasons as if girls were altering in increments in response to the profound and often overtly misogynist cultural radiation that has surrounded it as if growing tumours of self-consciousness sometimes this felt strategic one way to defend yourself against being called names is to turn the insult into your nickname to say it before someone else can mm. Another is to make your characters a notch starker, more neon in their narcissism, so no one can misread them as role models and then insist that they failed in their task. I mean, that is bang on. I agree. I do think that there's something that became quite defensive in the characterisation. Sort of. I don't blame her either. I don't blame her at all. But I think it's sort of Pandora in the same way that the other day we had yet another lovely review from a paper that still pointed out that Pandora and I were posh and Pandora... Posh privileged. The PP. Pandora... very accurately said we're <laughs> doomed to be the Jack Whitehalls of podcasts. I mean, I'd love to be because as far as I know, he lives in a £3.5 million house. So, I, if so you, let's just own it and flag it so up So let's as much just own it. Can. But I mean, I think, yeah, I think we're des- that's destined to be the, the first thing written about this podcast forevermore. So I'm um, in a very, very different way. I feel for Lena Dunham because what else she can do 
but be very self-aware. Yes, I agree. And also, it. it's so funny. I actually didn't realise that those two episodes, but now it makes total sense to me, were meant to be alternate endings. Well, that's what I read. That didn't come out of uh, LD's mouth. So but that makes because actually, what my friend Ed said, Ed Cripps, who's a very brilliant arts critic, said to me. He liked that last episode because he said it felt like it was almost an epilogue and it was almost like a vignette that's a slice of the future, almost series seven, episode one, in the same way that like in the Harry Potter books, you know, at the very end, they did that. I mean, there were some amazing, there were a few amazing comments in that last episode, like, you know, everyone's in emotional pain, Hannah. I love that. Mm, That was a real salient reminder to myself that Mm. everyone's got their own pain. Everyone's Mm. got their own journey to go on. It started with food and parenthood. Hannah stuffing her gob when her parents told her they were cutting her off. And it ended with food and parenthood, Lena feeding her baby. And that is not for once in my life something I've stolen off someone else. Oh my God, that's (laughs) incredible. You've just come out with that, Pandora. I was waiting for you to say, and that was written by... pointed out. (laughs) Which I do with 99.9. Recurring Look, all, I really think that you decisions. might be next in line for that New Yorker job. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, it's hard with um, this, this series of girls because I have loved girls. I thought last series was a particular masterpiece. But it's difficult because in one hand, as a fan, I feel quite unsatisfied by... Um, by that ending. By this whole series because other than American Bitch, which was yeah. amazing, and yeah. the incredible episode with Adam Driver, yeah. I've kind of found it slightly unsatisfying and a bit unsettling... And, you know, Lena Dunham has this thing that she's the weight of a voice of a generation. And I think that it's hard not to feel as someone who's a part of her generation like, oh, but give me a conclusion. Tell me it's going to be okay. Like, give me some epiphany. And she refuses to because that's not life. So as I said earlier in a wanky voice, I went on to Women's Hour on Tuesday to talk about the finale. Jane Garvey was presenting it and it was me and another journalist called Simran Hans who's written about girls before and is like really smart and interesting on on it and lots of things about it. And we were asked if we thought it related to our life, Mm. um, you know, as millennials. And I obviously pointed out the fact that, well, they don't really have jobs like instead of going getting a job Marnie goes and tries to sell her fake earrings like they don't they don't ever actually just like they don't have nine till fives from what I can see ever except for Shoshana Um, but Simran points out which I thought was quite interesting that um, she thought that Lena Dunham's character Hannah having a baby was like a very very hackneyed trope for growing up you know it's like it is it is is. is an effective method because of course you become more selfless when you have a baby but it did seem quite trite she is also only 27 Grace Dent I think wrote it would have been revolutionary if she'd had the baby in her late 40s there was tons I could relate to I said I could really relate to the fact that a lot of the time the sex was on the boys term I think in your early 20s it's a sad truth that a lot of women don't feel like an equal partner in a sexual relationship and they'll take essentially anything they can get and I don't mean that in a sexual no, way. No, and it's all for the pleasure of a man. And it's, it's all for, and, and also you will grab that chance because you yeah, are emotionally invested. In and, you, you know, yeah. that was very well encapsulated in the early, early series of Adam Driver. But the thing I said that I did find a bit sad is that they didn't remain friends because I feel like there's a kind of narrative in pop culture and in society that men's friendships are more loyal and can stand the test of time and that girls kind of have all these like quite catty little fights and oh what are they fighting about now yeah, and all yeah. handbags at dawn and that's really not been my experience of it's female not been friendships mine, and I do you're my only new dangerous. best friend in about 187 years <laughs> like all my all the I'm friends exactly I was in Berlin same. with yeah. I met when I was 4, 10 and 11 respectively and I'm 30 now so that to me felt a bit sad because that's not 
how I would like to see the idea of female friendships perpetuated. I agree. And that's, I feel like this but is something... But it was quite interesting to see them shatter, again. I suppose. Yeah, but time and time again, I feel like I watch these programmes. Even like... Catastrophe, I love, but like, where are her mates and like girls? They're all that always happens on the TV series. But does it happen because they can't? You can't afford to have like ninety. Maybe there's not the space for it. But it's like (laughs) this is not the women I know. This is not my friendship group, and it's not the experiences of most women I know. Um, But the thing, going back to that thing about the the politics that rest on the whole single mother, young single mother storyline, something that I was thinking about as I was coming here today is it felt so haunting and. Bleak, I think that last episode and a bit tinged with sort of tiredness and, and lethargy and sadness and I think a lot of that might be because Lena Dunham is very invested in Planned Parenthood and I think she yes. feels like yes. if she's going to tell the story yes. she has a responsibility to tell the truth about it and the truth is being a single mother particularly you know in the, in the in the world that they're living in America that they're about to go into there's a lot to consider it's a difficult Isn't, lonely that, thing there's that amazing quote when she's like you don't get to refund your order you can't sure. you can't cancel your tuition mm. or that you know all of this like you don't get to renege on this decision no, you're a mother now yeah her mum is amazing like she's like hello wake up it's 11am you know yeah. Marnie being this quite creepy sort of friend doula putting <laughs> her own so life weird. on her own life on hold alright Ghostbuster <laughs> I love that line <laughs> so it's pretty good another thing we could obviously talk about it for ages as you can tell and I actually think that one of the most interesting things that both Dolly and I cited in notes when we were talking about today's show is that Jenny Connor the co-creator mm. and um, the co-creator of Lenny newsletter as well yes. right? they do sort of everything together They're her creative partner yeah. she said that she's really looking Looking forward to seeing girls being watched in 5, 10, 20 years when it is removed from the criticism, and when the it noise, can just yeah. exist as art. And I can imagine for them it's just exhausting. So I think I think for that sure. will be that will be nice for them to have that. But yeah, another thing we've been watching that I literally only just discovered and sent it straight over to Dolly because I knew she'd love it. Um anyone who is a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm, i.e. Larry David, will not be surprised to hear that his daughter, Cassie, is a sort of cynical comic genius in exactly the same um no not exactly the same that's not fair but you know the apple doesn't fall far from the tree as i saw someone tweet and she has made this short youtube series there's four episodes so far they're between five and seven minutes long and they're called 86 and it's basically like snapshots of a millennial life and um there's some absolutely amazing lines in it. There's some amazing bits in each episode which just completely resonate. It's very addictive as well. So where her friend goes, she's upset. The main character that Cassie plays is upset about her breakup and her friend's like, oh my God, I cannot believe how anti-feminist you're being right now. <laughs> which is really funny because I think women do struggle with, you know, you're not allowed to be heartbroken because you're a feminist. And then there's this there's moment... There's that amazing bit with she, the ice cream that um, I love. Oh, yeah, do you want to tell she's her? She's had... Because there's... I think the reason why the Larry David thing feels so uh, mirrored is that she's got that curb thing, this character where she refuses to edit herself depending on the appropriateness of social environment. She just steadfastly will be herself no matter how offensive it is. And there's a bit where she's sitting in an ice cream parlour sort of blabbering on about this relationship that's ended and a girl comes in and starts talking about her 
mother um, has just found out she has a tumour and there's just this one moment that had me in hysterics this cutaway to her just ploughing through the ice cream just yeah she's pissed off it's her moment she doesn't she doesn't want to think about someone else's emotional pain but I also love that just after they were like stop being so anti-feminist they start talking about looks and they basically categorise her into being hipster hot rather than generic hot um, but it's got something of the kind of Lena Dunham about it as it's Cassie's way I felt of her preempting any inevitable critique of her look and it's mm. that trope of telly now which I feel like Phoebe Waller-Bridge does a bit with Fleabag although much more overtly where it's a bit like I'm thinking what you're thinking before you can even think it it's a bit like I'm cleverer than you you can't take me down because I'm making all these remarks but also before you can make them so it's very self Self, quite metery. But it's also, Nora Ephron said that if you, the reason she wrote the story she did about herself, she said, if I fall on a banana skin and I tell the story, it's my joke. Yeah. And no one can yeah, laugh you're at you're right. Me. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of the banana skin. I was also very interested that she released it on YouTube in a five to seven minute format. I feel like a lot of of young comic writers do that because they don't have another platform. I'm pretty sure she could have got another platform, but I was reading a very interesting interview recently in The Times with the founder of Netflix called Reed Hastings, and Janice Turner asked him what he was scared about. Was, you know, are you scared of Amazon Prime? And he said, no, I'm scared of YouTube because they've got two billion viewers Mm. and their content's free. And she, I think, is going to be part of these people that are going to be developing their content not with the powers that be at Netflix, no, but and with the powers that, that be at the YouTube. the content will never be negated because it will just be them putting... There won't be any filter system of a showrunner or a commissioner. Whatever they write goes straight to screen. Yeah, it's very, I think it's very interesting. Anyway, check it out. We'll put the link on our Twitter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Obviously, there has also been what I imagine Dolly likes to call a Jenny Alec on the horizon. <laughs> On the so you know me so well. So Dolly and I don't know much about snap elections. And in case uh, some of our listeners didn't, I was reading some stuff about it. Here's a rather helpful article from the BBC. The UK doesn't generally do snap elections since World War II. There are really only two other examples of a prime minister going to the country within a year or two of the previous contest. There have been a few occasions where we have seen prime ministers who, like Theresa May, made it to Downing Street without winning an election themselves going to the country for a personal mandate and it gives other various examples so the snap election is happening on june the 8th and she said it's because it's right to put our fate in the hands of the people hashtag democracy yeah i'm not sure if i buy that Teresa. but um anyway we're not going to go into what we do or don't think of this uh, gigantic fucking disaster <laughs> because otherwise we could uh, be here for hours instead we're going to talk about the leader of the liberal democrats tim farron who's been in the papers this week, um, particularly for his religious beliefs and attitude towards homosexuality, which have come under fire. So The Telegraph reported, the leader of the Liberal Democrats has been branded a bigot and absolute disgrace for evading a question on whether he thought being gay was a sin. Sue Perkins and David Walliams were among the celebrities who criticised Tim Farron for failing to answer the question. He finally answered the question on Wednesday afternoon when asked in Parliament if being gay was a sin. He said, no, I do not. But on Tuesday night, Channel 4's Kathleen Newman 
asked the Liberal Democrats leader about his views on LGBT rights and gay people. She asked, a while back, I asked you if you thought that homosexuality was a sin and you struggled to answer. Now you've had a while to consider that question. What is the answer? He replied, I don't think I struggled to answer at all, Cathy. I think I'm not in the position to make theological announcements over the next six weeks. And it's, it's a very frustrating, it's a bit, did you threaten to overrule him? Um, Paxo start. It's a frustrating interview to watch. And his party line is that his strategy in handling Brexit is more important than his personal theology. So the question is, can you separate the personal beliefs from the politician? What do you think? Well, I think you can. I think you can. I don't I don't I don't know enough other examples. But I mean, Theresa May was a, you know, she didn't want to leave. And she she wasn't a Brexiteer. And she well, I don't know, it depends how successfully you think she's been doing it. But you know, she has been implementing that decision because it's what has been made rather than her personal views. As someone who grew up Catholic, I'm not very Catholic now, I think it's really interesting with religion because obviously it's also fucking antiquated by dint Mm. of it being Mm. an entrenched religion. And obviously it has to be updated. And we've got a great Pope now who is massively trying to bring it into into modern life. But I think it's already... (laughs) a bit of a pickle he's in by being an evangelical devout Christian and being in Parliament. Um, being a liberal Democrat. I know, is which issue. is... Uh, I, part of me thinks he should just lie. Part of me thinks that he should just say, even if he's not in well, his I, heart I of hearts... I think he has lied. I think that's what... I think he was coerced into saying that. Do you? I do. I do. And I think it's not going to wash because... You know, first of all, this isn't people just assuming that he's homophobic because of his religion. He has a history of voting against legislation that would benefit the LGBT community. There's a really good uh, article in The Express, actually, which we will tweet afterwards, which has a kind of history of all the ways in which he voted. In 2007, he voted against the Equality Act. And then six years later, in 2013, he abstained from the third and final reading. So, is I'm interested. Are you? He won't be the only MP that's not particularly welcoming of LGBT people. Um, Generationally, obviously, I'm not saying that's okay that they're there. But what I'm saying is, in any you know, look at Congress in America. Like in any political system, there are people that are much, much more conservative and limited in their view of you know. I think when people is it because he's a leader that um, I I don't think it's acceptable full stop and I don't think that you can separate your personal beliefs from your public actions it doesn't quite wash with me the religion thing because I just feel like don't hide behind your god he's not the boss of you but that's the entire problem with religion full stop is this idea that someone else is you know. Someone else is deciding your morality, yeah. but and your life and your and your faith. He's, and... he's got a brain. He's educated. He's also not got a good history with his voting with abortion law as well, which is included in this. In this, the, um, the thing I think I'm just a real cynic because I don't think any of this is right or okay, and I certainly wouldn't vote for him. And I wish I wish he wasn't the leader of the Lib Dem party. But I think because of what we see globally because of what we see going on in America where there just are people the difference with him that I'm interested in is in America they would just put their hand up and say yeah no I don't I don't believe in gay rights and I don't believe in women being allowed abortions unless 
this very specific scenario is in place. MPs don't do that over here. They don't stand up. For a lot of left-leaning people, you know, while that useless man is head of the Labour Party, this is a very viable option for a lot of disenchanted Labour voters. So, oh my God, it is. I mean, look at Trump. So I think it's very disappointing because not only is it hard to vote for a man for whom you know that he thinks fundamentally you are evil and a lesser person, like that's very difficult to swallow, but also mm. the legislation he passes will have a direct effect on our lives. I think it's part of that general worry that does seem to be happening across the globe and it is something that Trump really encapsulates, that even though we seem to be living, well, we do, in a very, you know, we've uh, people have said that before about liberal people being in this bubble, not realising what's going on outside mm. it. But as society, general middle class society becomes more liberal, politics seem to be getting more conservative. I agree it's a real worry because we seem to be in this like very conservative time of politics that really jars with the way society is progressing and it's a, it's a worry because we've already seen that come into play on a massive global superpower mm. stage um i think it's really difficult because i think there are a generation of people who won't care that he has those really awful views and therefore i don't know how he will be displaced by want of a better word unless it's by his own party well apparently there is a campaign to get a fish finger to um <laughs> To go I mean, I prefer that. Bid. I prefer that. To clarify, I don't, I don't agree with him at all. I'm just so used to. I mean, you know, we spoke about it on the podcast a few weeks ago that I was really horrified that George Osborne had taken a quarter of a million pounds that was meant to go towards sanitary products um, and making them more affordable and gave it to Life, which is a anti-abortion charity. Like, it, on a small scale, these things are already happening. Um, so I'm not surprised at all by where he is, but I agree, you're right, the oxymoronicness of the fact that he is the head of the Liberal Democrat. I know. Well, I'm rooting for the fish finger. <laughs> I think you absolutely should. <laughs> um, but a great thing that happened this week is Brani Gordon, the Telegraph journalist who has written extensively about mental health and anxiety and depression and her own struggles with it, has launched her new podcast called... What a bloody launch as what well. A launch. Is it called My Mad World or The Mad World of Brani Gordon? Mad World. Mad World. Any of it, I mean, you'll find it easily. It's been extensively reported because her first ever interviewee, and what a way to crack on with your podcast. I can believe it when I saw that. Her first ever interviewee is Prince Harry. Now, just to give a little bit of background, Bryony is running the marathon on Sunday for Heads Together, a mental health charity. And it's a charity that Prince William, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate, and Prince Harry are patrons of. So, Bryony interviewed Harry for her podcast. And it is incredible work from Bryony because not only was she, you know, this all started with her writing a very brave column in her Telegraph column about her experiences with OCD. And now she's this sort of amazing campaigner. And mm, it's activist. also, you can tell as well that she has really earned his trust because he's very relaxed around her, I think. And it's a it's a lovely interview to listen to. Um, this is a stat that we return to a lot, but suicide is the biggest killer in men under 50. Um, a lot of that has it's been argued of the pressures of masculinity and, and how there's not a culture of men speaking in, in a way that perhaps women are better at. And I think to have a man as ostensibly kind of macho as Prince Harry and kind of to, to have him opening up and talk about his experiences with mental health and the fact that he basically admits in it in so many words that he went to a therapist 
is groundbreaking, I think, and I think will do huge, huge things for young men everywhere, for everyone, you know, not just young men. He's incredibly honest. He talks about um, how his... I'm loath to put a word on it because he himself never defines what he went through, but maybe anxiety or sort of troubled mental thoughts mm. happened when his mother died when he was a young teenager. And um, there's just a few quotes. There's a few bits in it. He's really honest. I love that he swears. He's, yeah, he says, he, can I swear? Yeah, he says, I think he says shit quite a lot. Um, but he said, I have probably been very close to a complete breakdown on numerous occasions when all sorts of grief and all sorts of lies and misconceptions and everything are coming to you from every angle, which I think is a real insight into the reality of being born so insanely famous. You know, we hear a lot about like, oh my God, I'm not feeling sorry for him. He's so lucky. And I think I've always thought not for love or money would I want to be a member of the royal family. Mm. You know, their life is not their own. They are trailed by security everywhere they go. And it's an extraordinary position that he's been born into. He calls it of privilege and responsibility. And he says at one point, which I think is amazing, this idea, you know, that everyone is united by the same problems. We're all human. And he says, fine, yes, I'm a prince. I have a house. I have a car. I have a job that I love. But, you know, now that I'm able to take my private life seriously, and there's obviously, I think, that undercurrent of he's obviously settling down with with Meghan Markle. He says, now I'm able to take my private life seriously. I really want to be as genuine as possible and hope that people will respect that. And then you can start to make a difference. And he says that right now he's young and before George (laughs) and George's siblings, potential siblings, Charlotte and whoever else may be coming, before they grow up and they take the spotlight, he said he really wants to make a difference, but he knows he can't make a difference till people start taking him seriously. And Dolly and I were saying there was a real allusion to the fact that he'd probably partied quite a lot in his Mm. youth. But everyone, all the coverage at that time was like he's behaving in an unprincely fashion but I think it's interesting to see it framed by a young guy who was kind of trying to come to terms with the extraordinarily painful and public death of his mother mm. and, and growing up as a, as a teenager in the public eye and um, it, it made me have a real respect for him and I did think God if him and Megan end up getting married they are going to be a really powerful couple not in a not in like a celebrity way but in what they're doing him alone doing that will be such a boost to to mental health cause. And Megan, meanwhile, has been doing some great stuff. I mean, again, we talked about on the podcast, the open letter she wrote about how menstruation holds women from low economic backgrounds back in life, um, which is a really valuable letter. It's something that we both believe in a lot and we're we're really kind of passionate about. Um, Did it make you see him and all the royal family in a different light, Dolly? Yeah, I think I really loved his self-awareness, as you said, when he was talking about his privilege and he said, you know, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Um, I loved him saying that. I loved him talking about uh, something that I personally identify with in terms of stuff that I've experienced. He said, if you don't talk to someone and if you don't confront it, you become a problem. (laughs) And I just loved his self-awareness saying that. And I think it showed someone who's taken real personal responsibility and who's been really brave I think and and also I loved the bit where he said he was talking about his mother and he said that the legacy that his mother has left him is that if you have a position that they have that if you really get behind something with conviction and you really believe in it that you can make that anything is possible he said and you know his mother will always be remembered as well, for some people she'll just be remembered for the rather lovely wardrobe she had, but for a lot of people what she'll be remembered as is the woman who took off a glove and shook the hand, the bare hand of a HIV-positive 
man in a time where there was huge scaremongering about that or the woman who walked across landmines. And I think there's definitely something of that in him, I think. Yeah, and maybe it just t- it took a while for him to feel okay enough to be able to speak about it in a, in a public way. And there was something that I've realised as well with my own mental health issues is that you can only understand the context of it when you're out the other side or when you've spoken to someone about it. And that's the only time when you have the language for it. And as you said now, when you look back on all that partying and you think maybe we were wrong to assume that we understood the context for it. I think that there's a lot of that when you look at people in the public eye and assume, assume you know one because thing. Because even he might... Even have he not might known. not have had the language that he exactly. Yes, I mean there was. There's obviously been a lot of coverage. There was also some such stupid pieces. There was something in the Evening Standard where someone tweeted it, going, "Prince Harry opens up about mental health issues after the death of his mother." Evening Standard. Don't millennials talk funny? Um, and there was basically this piece going, praised for speaking out about his own mental suffering after the death of his mother. Prince Harry has also demonstrated fluency in millennialese, the language of those born between 1980 and 2000-ish. Harry assures us he is in a good place now, which elders should note does not mean Mahiki or the Maldives, just feeling okay. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, just let this stand alone. Don't also, need like someone saw- trying to be funny. And it felt a bit like... Pepsi light, like not as bad as the Pepsi advert and the commodification of Black Lives Matter, but something that is just an absolutely wrong angle and take and completely not appreciated. So someone thought it would, they were being funny and someone got it fucking wrong. I also saw that um, Katie Hopkins stuck a big beacon and I decided... Do you follow her? No, I saw, when I Googled the story, I saw a, a, oh, an article yeah. come up by Katie Hopkins and I just thought, Do you know what? No. What was, the art- that- what was the article? I didn't even read the headline. I thought, no, I'm not going to let that even Why into my consciousness. Why you all deserve to have mental health problems, I did, millennials. I didn't even click on it. I didn't even read God, it. God, now you may want to go and read it and I'm going to be pissed <laughs> off. Although there is a huge kind of discussion that's being had at the moment, I feel. And I might end up doing it because it's a good idea that, you know, what gets us into these dire straits in politics where we're like, how did that happen? Is because a lot of us get our news now from social media, you know, sources you follow on social mm. media. So you're, you're actually putting yourself in a bubble mm. by only following the people who whose voices you like the you know they have your kind they share your views so there's you know this whole idea that you should start following a few people that you fucking hate so you're getting a more balanced view of what's ever, what everyone's thinking in the world yeah, so morals, maybe though. maybe well unfortunately the problem is is when you think someone doesn't agree with you you tend to think they're a moron I've realized yeah. in life but Katie when someone Hopkins holds is quite empirically empirically a moron um, I think it's going to be really hard for us to find you know anyone who's really really right wing that we don't think is a complete complete knob speaking of knobs we'll just uh, really really briefly touch on Coachella which um, happened this week and the outfits just get better and better I sent some pictures to Dolly of the Victoria's Secret Angels who always managed to encapsulate the Coachella yes dear and um, I said I was like caption this I'm calling them Buffy the Festival Slayer that was perfect and what did you reply saying I don't know. It's just that sort of Camden Market, 1995, meet Xena Warrior Princess. I'm so over that whole dark lipstick, choker, 90s goth grunge thing. I yeah. see it everywhere and Shit I hate of, it. Like hate fishnet, it. leather studs, capes, the double buns that I we used it. to like. Someone so, emailed me being like, are you going to Coachella? We'd love to lend you some clothes. And I was like, I literally wrote back being like, I'm happy to report that I will never be going to Coachella because now I've hit 30. I know. I think you're only allowed in, into Coachella if your tits are at like armpit level. Like I reckon <laughs> they measure you when you come in and you're like, then they're like, sorry, you can't come in. Your tits are too sad. You're too old. Go home. It's and become- I'm not going to, I'm just not going to risk it, Dolly. It's because, like going on one of those rides at Alton Towers. Um, <laughs> do they do that? It's, it's become one. It's become quite a trope, I think, that Coachella is full of 
basic bitches. Well, there were some hilarious headlines. Like Vogue, US Vogue had had a headline that said, how to wear your underwear as outerwear like Victoria's Secret models did at Coachella. Something like that. And this was on like Vogue.com. I was like, really Vogue? Um, It's sort of the opposite of Woodstock, isn't it? It's just, it's nothing. I don't even know the bands that are playing at Coachella. Maybe everyone thought Woodstock was like Coachella at the time. In fact, (laughs) even they don't know the bands. Pandora and I were talking earlier about this rather cruel but very funny prank that... I can't remember who did it. Maybe it was Vice. It was some group of people filmed outside of Coachella and they made up a load of band names and they asked these young women mainly as they came in. They said, are you excited to see, you know, ridiculous made up band name? And then all these girls pretended that like they that they knew the band. It was cruel, but it was fucking There's funny. this amazing carti- cartoon from Jolie Loren, that um, illustrator on Instagram that we love. And I put it on our Twitter and she drew a girl at Coachella and then annotated it. And it's like, the annotation is like, hat from Amish man, because they all wear those like ridiculous oh, yeah. hats. Um, it's so hot as well. Why are they wearing them? Hat from Amish man, statement sunglasses, self-satisfied smirk, beach waves flower crown under hat cotton Mm. embroidered and then this is what I used to look I used to list stuff like this on eBay cotton embroidered vintage peasant boho Victorian romantic poetic top yeah I used Um, to do that and then there's like fringe 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 more fringe the fringe just goes off the page no underwear denim underwear complex body jewellery enormous belt one exposed nipple facial jewellery and a groovy world view and also a peace sign absolutely brilliant are you going to any festivals this year no I'm going to none honestly I'm 30 it's deliciously liberating I'm going to none Have we got time for a few letters? Yes, uh, we have a rather hefty one, but I think it's quite. We're just gonna yeah. Should we just go? We're just gonna go for one. Yeah. But we're gonna read some more that we got this week out next week. Yeah. We've gone a bit over time, so. Hi, Pandora and Dolly. This has been abridged, um, but she gave us permission. My youngest sister is graduating uni this year, which up until recently made me very proud and very excited for her. But I'm worried now as she wants to move back to the small town where we grew up and into the house my parents rent out with her university beau of less than a year, even though she hasn't mentioned making moves to get into the job market. Whilst I know not everyone knows what they want to do the minute they graduate uni, and that's perfectly normal, it seems she placed a lot of her energy into the last few months into finalising these domestic plans the boyfriend in question is perfectly pleasant on his own but when with my sister they're very heavy on the PDA my sister didn't seem to know this was not appropriate in front of the family she appears batshit crazy obsessed with this guy we've all been there Um, A side note to this, Martin Amos in his book, The Rachel Papers, uses this phrase to describe a woman when she's obsessed with her new boyfriend that I'm obsessed with called spunk drunk. (laughs) Gross. Sounds like she's spunk drunk, my friend. Uh, It's not as if she needs a feminist awakening. She reads the books and stood up to sexist boys back in the day of our teenagehood. So this all sort of feels like regression. I should add that not a bitter sister. I myself in a happy relationship of three years. Mostly I just feel betrayed. I'm only a year older than... I'm only a year older and the way we used to talk about our future I always thought she was going to follow and move to London with me I don't exactly know what advice I'm asking for any wise life experience sage words I guess should I just let time run its course and for her to learn from her own mistakes and is it wrong to want more for her should I even confront her with how I'm feeling or keep quiet so I'm going to do a Mariella Frost drop on this in her Observer column which I always love and I'm going to be quite tough on you I'm going to give you tough love because I think this does read as I think the key line in that at the end is I'm a year older than her and I always thought she'd follow me to London Mm. and in your longer letter you say 
God, I love that I can say that. I've always wanted to be able to say, and in your longer letter. <laughs> and in your longer letter, you say that, you know, London is lonely and that you would appreciate mm. um, her being there. She hasn't left university yet. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people when they leave uni haven't got all their ducks in a row. So I think you have to leave her to figure that out, provided she's not asking any of you for financial support and refusing to get a job. Then I think you need to assume that being the bright feminist, enlightened woman she is, she'll work it out. Um, I don't think that her wanting to move back into your parents' home with a boyfriend that she might be touchy-feely with but nonetheless seems very in love with is an anti-feminist thing or even a bad thing. She might be someone that has found a steady relationship young. They might break up. It's entirely possible. But I think that you need to let her live her life because I think it sounds like you're wanting her to live the life that you wanted for her, mm. not the life that she's living. And um, I don't think you're necessarily being bitter, but I think you're possibly being a little bit controlling and bossy. I think that's very good advice. And look, this is, you have my full sympathy, my darling, because this is something that I really, really struggled with in my, particularly in my mid 20s. And I remember ranting about it to my mother once about a very good friend of mine who I think got into a very serious relationship too young and. And I was I was ranting on about it, and my mum went, "Well, you don't have to sleep with him. You don't have to marry him. <laughs> it's true. Do you know what I mean?" Yep. She was like, "No one's asking that of you. It's her life." And actually, in the end, that relationship broke up, and, and Dolly held a party. And <laughs> and the friend in question said to me, "Did you have doubts about that relationship? It was a very long relationship." And I said, "Do you want the truth?" She said, "Yes." And I said, "Yes, I had doubts for a very long time." And she said, "Thank you for never." ever voicing them oh god yes my mum always said that she said I really appreciate it because I had to learn on my own and also there is a chance I'm not some like wise and neither are you like it's not like we have the answer because they're not doing things how we do it or you do it you know it might work out very well for her and it might just be a different kind of life and who's to say that you have the insight to know her better than herself is what I would say. Although I would tell her to ease up on the PDA in front of the family. Yeah, <laughs> Spunk drunk's never cool when your mum's around. Exactly. Um, I also had, when I did go onto Women's Hour, I met this amazing woman um, who was campaigning on behalf of her husband, who's called Andy Tesege. He's a British national and a father of three, and he was a democracy activist. He spoke out about the dictatorship in Ethiopia, and he was snatched from an airport in June 2014, and they have been unable to get him out. His wife um, and children haven't spoken to him since 2014. Um, I met her and she told an amazing story which you can listen to on Tuesday's episode of the Women's Hour podcast. But also you can go to reprieve.org.uk forward slash free Andy and you can sign your name on that. You can also, if you want to do right to your MP, the Foreign Secretary or the Prime Minister asking for urgent action to get Andy home. As of yet, they have not made any traction at all and his wife feels undeniably desperate and upset we should tweet that link as well we will tweet tweet that that link as well um and she was an amazing woman and it it felt just galling to know Mm. that that happens that the british government um and embassy cannot seem to get him out um don't forget, on a lighter note, to follow us at The High Low Show on Twitter. You can email us at show at gmail.com. And please, if you wouldn't mind, subscribe and review and rate us. It would give us a big boost. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. Pandora's very, uh, very quite rightly conscious of me not sounding too pushy and desperate. No, it was the, if, I, if you didn't mind. <laughs> I was trying to be... Um, Casual. Seem relaxed. Just, you know. 
Thank you to Lauren Benstead for our groovy jingle. Thank you to Acast for letting us record in your hot as hell but divine studio. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.